I'm Nick Filardi. I'm Jason Thielbar. Welcome to the world's second finest podcast. Today, we're talking about Batman Adventures issue nine, which came out May 11th, 1993. Same team as the previous issue, Kelly Puckett writing, Mike Parobeck on pencils, Rick Burchett on inks, Rick Taylor on colors, Tim Harkins on letters, Scott Peterson editing. This issue promised nonstop action and a lot of goons. So many goons. Jason, I thought of you when I was reading this. I loved I loved all the goons. I know you love go- you love a good goon. And this thing uh, is packed with goons. So many goons. So many lovely, lovely goons. Uh, before we talk about that, uh, Shadow of the Bat 13 was on stands. I didn't read it. Jason, do you want to talk about Shadow of the Bat 13? I did. It's a uh, it's a fun, very dramatic bottle episode style story where it kind of fleshes out the reason why Batman does what he does. Pretty, pretty well done. Pretty well done. I, I, I dug it. I dug it. Why does Batman do what he does? Oh, for the for the weak, for the downtrodden, for like the forgotten and the misfits and plot centered around this homeless guy who was an alcoholic and fallen on hard times and had discovered Batman's secret identity and was going to sell it for money because he's desperate. And then sure. he ends up getting uh, almost murdered. And he like he like drags himself to uh, Wayne Corp and like demands to see Bruce Wayne while he's like bleeding. And he's like, I have to tell you this horrible thing that I did. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, you need a die. He's like, no, I have to tell you what horrible thing I did. He's like, there's even a great scene where he's like, Bruce Wayne's like, you need a doctor. And he's like, I need a drink. And like Bruce Wayne opens up his wet bar and he's like, I'm afraid I don't condone alcohol uh, consumption. All I have are juices and water. And I'm like, <laughs> of course you do, you fucking nerd. You fucking nerd. You can't even keep just like a bottle of mid-level whiskey. Come on. Jason, his body is a temple. He needs to be crime fighting at all times. At any hour of the day, he cannot get intoxicated. He cannot impair his body. That's true. He's on call. Yeah. Plus, he's straight edge for life. You know, chains of strength, man. He's all about he has an original strife T-shirt. Okay, not like all these other fucking posers. (laughs) He he got it originally. Okay. I really like the idea of Batman being like. Here's my wet bar. I've packed it full of juices. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, just don't yeah. have a wet bar. It, like, you don't have to yeah, fill just it don't. with juice boxes. Like, you're fine. It's, it's fine. Yeah. yeah, just don't have one. Like, it's, it's all right. You know, but, but yeah, it was a really, uh, it was a really well done issue. And it's just, you know, single, single yeah, issue. one shot. Yeah, one shot. Not like a whole lot of action, but enough. Yeah, you know, I saw and, and, um, yeah. Alan Grant was writing. He's been writing a lot of the Shadow of the Bat stuff. And uh, Norm Brayfogel was on it, who kicked off Nightfall. So yeah. and did the last Arkham. He kicked off Shadow of the Bat as well. You know, he's the classic yeah. Batman artist that I feel like DC keeps leaning on. So, yeah, yeah, because he seems to be one of those guys that like I think I mentioned it on an earlier show, like um, Mark Bagley, who's like whose art is pretty good. And also uh, they're really quick. <laughs> so editors are right. like shit someone else has fallen behind hey call up norm i know he can he can knock this out right it'll, and, and it'll be good it'll be solid and it'll get done on time 
I do got to say when you're working professionally like that, not being a pain in the ass for the editor is a huge mm. bonus. I've had a couple of editors talk to me before at cons and being like, the best thing I like about you is that I give you the project. You don't bother me. And then you hand in the project and it's done. And it's on time yep. and it looks good. They're like, I just I know when I hand you something, you're just going to be like a professional and knock it out, you know? Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Norm Brayfogel is definitely that for sure. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Jason. Nick. Are you ready for more Nightfall? <laughs> You've got nothing. Beg for mercy. Scream my name. Never. Fall in. Fall into the night. Fall into the night. This night, this night right here that we have, this night ain't hollow. Okay. You hear about them hollow nights? This is not a hollow night. This night is filled with bad guys, with a very mean-spirited kind of hatred to anybody who might be considered a mental health professional. You know, like that, we, that, that did happen in these this issues. Is, this, yeah, this is okay. not. This is a full night. We're full night. Okay, we're talking about Detective Comics and Batman, which both double shipped again. So last month there were a new Batman or detective comics on the stand every single week. And we're continuing that this month. We're talking about Batman 494 and 495, as well as detective comics 661 and 662. They all had a nightfall banner on top of the issue. They were labeled issues five through eight of nightfall. Doug Munch and Jim Aparo were on Batman. Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan were on detective Graham, I think, is new to the Bat books. I don't believe he's done a lot of Bat books before that we've covered. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but uh, his work actually kind of stood out to me as one of the the better issues of Nightfall that we've been reading. Let's uh, I'm going to run through these as quickly as possible. Good, because I just realized that I forgot to read the extra uh, books. The extra books? What are the extra books? I only read one of each of you Detective. You read one and, of each instead yeah, of the double ship. Yeah, I, yeah. I forgot about the double ship this week. The double ship uh, will always get you. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I will get caught up on it, but but I think... You, you tell me. You tell me if you think I'm missing a whole lot. This is kind of funny because like you missed two of the Detective and Batman books, and I didn't get around to Shadow of the Bat because I was reading these two extra Batman and Detective books. Um, yeah yeah and i was like i forgot if we're not reading shadow or not anymore i better read it anyway Mm. before i break down what happened in these issues i did start to enjoy nightfall a little bit more than than we did last pod last pod i felt like they were very isolated issues like here's a here's a mad hatter story here's a zazz story and it didn't really connect very well yeah and these issues felt more interconnected, more like a a part of a lived in world, just more interesting. What I remembered about what Nightfall was started to come to fruition in these issues. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, it seems a bit more uh, cohesive is what it is. Exactly. Like, I think the writers are communicating with each other about what they're writing. And so Chuck Dixon will be like, I'm going to write this story. Jim Aparo, can can you finish the previous issue with like a little lead in for me and then I'll write that issue and then I'll finish my issue 
with a little lead in for the for the next you know, Doug Munch story. It's it's or it's Chuck Dixon and Doug Munch, not Jim Aparo's drawing it. But yeah, the, so the writers are are communicating a little more, and I think that is creating a more overall cohesive event. Yeah, rather than just being like one writes one thing, one writes another thing, and they stay separate. Yeah, I can't help but think, and this is just this is just wild, wild speculation from me. The entirety of the Nightfall story of all like the beats they wanted to hit, they were ideas that someone came up with, and then they're like, okay, now you have to write a story around this. You know, like it feels like they were like, we we want Batman to, we want every, we want Arkham whoa, Asylum whoa, whoa, to whoa, half whoa. blow up. Whoa, whoa, and- whoa. Spoilers there, Jason. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it does. It does feel like editorial is is definitely has an idea of what they want. And they're like, deliver it to us. We don't care how you get there kind of thing. Yeah, that's what that that's what it feels like to me. All right. Let me give you my full and no interruptions. Let me sprint through it because it's a lot. All right. All right. I'll keep my mouth shut. and, And you know how hard that is for me. So in the previous issues, uh, Robin was in mortal danger being swept out in a sewer to the uh, Gotham Harbor while Bane and Killer Croc fight each other. Robin quickly saves himself by just climbing out of the water with his staff. Whew. So Robin saves himself from the sewer water that we talked about in the previous pod. Batman is missing therapy sessions and his therapist is complaining that he's missing these therapy sessions. Joker teams up with Cornelius Stark, a fear hypnotist and wants him to kidnap Commissioner Gordon. Stirk tries instead to kill Commissioner Gordon. Joker calls it an unmitigated disaster as Batman saves Gordon and and bests Stirk. Joker instead teams up with Scarecrow to capture the mayor. Scarecrow uses fear gas to get the mayor to make crank calls, basically. He and the, he and the Joker hang out with the mayor and get him to make crank calls. Firefly starts burning things. Robin tracks down Firefly, but Batman decides that only he can bust Firefly. Robin's doesn't really enjoy this. Riddler is making plans and riddles. The city is too busy to deal with his usual bullshit. Scarecrow and Joker are like hanging out and eating chips and spitballing ideas as to what to do with the mayor the entire time. Uh, Bruce attends a gala of rich people because it's a quote unquote ripe target. Poison Ivy hits it. Asriel is beating up thugs. Batman kicks Poison Ivy in the face and saves the gala. Scarecrow and Joker finally decide what they're going to do with the mayor, and they're going to get all the cops to an amusement park, and then they decide to blow it up. Bane muses that if the Joker gets too close to killing Batman, then he'll have to kill the Joker because Batman is his to break. Batman beats Cavalier, a fencer. Riddler decides to get on a live talk show and hold it hostage with a suicide vest because he can't get attention. Otherwise, Batman takes down Firefly at a zoo that he's trying to light on fire. But like, it's hard for Batman and he's very tired. Robin stops the Riddler. The police aren't happy that Robin is there stopping the Riddler. Huntress stops Riddler's goons who went off without him in order to pull a job that the, that Riddler had originally planned. Uh, Huntress stops Riddler's goons who went off without him. Please care about Huntress. We really want you to care about Huntress. Batman slumps down at a dumpster uh, in the zoo and wonders about 
which villain is next between him and Bane. A, a monkey is there with Batman at the zoo, just loose, hanging out. That's it. <laughs> That's Nightfall. Yeah, I don't I don't really feel that bad, like not reading the uh, <laughs> the other issues, because I just like in both Batman and Detective, I was like, I get it. He's tired. Oh, he's so tired. He's tired. Jason. Oh, man, he's tired. He's tired. And then even the idea of like fighting these like low rent villains, like even he's like, oh, the fencer or whatever the fuck. Yeah, his the name Cavalier, was. Like, the Cavalier. It's like. You really like, okay, like I understand maybe you don't want to leave like Killer Croc to the cops or whatever because he's like big and like mean, but like the Cavalier, like just call, call who, call whoever is like walking a fucking beat, you know? Well, not only this, but like Asriel's just beating up goons, like Huntress is just beating up goons. Robin like is running down leads, but not following through with them. And Robin decides to take down the Riddler because Batman's busy with firefly yeah but it's like dude you you built batman incorporated here you built the bat family like yeah use it you know yeah yeah it's it, it seems like such a poor like excuse where he's like no i must do it myself and then that's also the same thing with bane of like i must break him okay why like what did he steal your prom date like right. what's the yeah what? i don't know they never really that's a good point. They never really get into like Bane's motivation for this. We never get. Um, I mean, maybe we'll get that at the end. Maybe that's going to be one of the big reveals or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I just like, can't. I can't. I can't remember it because he had he had a pretty good motivation in the movies at least, which is that like he was just disgusted at his uh, existence and offended yeah. that he like wasn't killing a bunch of people. I'm like, okay, well, at least like that's like. <laughs> Because this man's a psychopath and, sure, sure. you know, so of course he would be offended by such a thing. A couple of things that I did enjoy. Uh, like I said, I did enjoy that it was a more interconnected world. Scarecrow is distributing fear gas via a skull with gas that shoots out of its eyes. Yeah, I thought that yeah, this, was totally fucking rad. <laughs> the, the, scare, the Scarecrow Joker bits were really good. They were having a lot of fun with that. Those were really, really good. Oh, you, you know. Yeah, I could have taken more pages of like just like crank phone calls, you know, right, right. So like (laughs) Scarecrow and Joker have the mayor cornered at his house. Right. And then they're like, what the fuck do we do with this guy? And there's these this great panel where Scarecrow's got his mask like half up and he's just eating a bag of potato chips as they're like spitballing ideas. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's so stupid. <laughs> it, it it is, but it's but it's like it's part of the fun, you know. It's like w- one of the things I love the most mm-hmm. about animes. Like I mentioned, I'm still like going back through Cowboy Bebop. Is that like, well, they will be serious. Like Cowboy Bebop is serious, but there are all are also points where they're like, yeah, we're still a cartoon. Like, yeah. Oh, here's a here's a big bandage because a guy got knocked out. You know, right? Or here's right, just this right. like funny like physics defying thing because yeah. like. Why, why the hell not? You know, and I think that that thing with like, yeah, why wouldn't Scarecrow just, you know, just keep the mask like half on while they're just like casually talking about what what stupid thing they're going to do next. (laughs) Right. Right. I know Batman is is, I guess, taking it personally. And so he's like, I got to I got to be the one to like stop everything. But Robin, at some point, either in these issues or in the previous pod, tries to get Batman to be like, you know, 
hey, maybe we should think about things like and like slow down just a little bit and like put together a plan and, you know, like that kind of stuff. And Batman just completely waves him off. Just as like, no, 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 no. We just need to react. And it's like, fuck, dude, you're like the world's greatest detective. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you wait? Like, why wouldn't you plan something? Right. You you, you know, like they they always say Batman can beat anyone with proper time to plan. And it's like, yeah. And here he's just like, I don't know, messing around the whole. it's, It's just like it feels messy and it doesn't feel like batman on his game you know what i mean but that i guess that's the point that's the point is that batman's got that freelancer burnout going on (laughs) well but also though i think that's why like it falls kind of flat because because it's a fictional character right so you can always kind of stretch motivations but i think when you start stretching motivations or um not paying attention to the character and how they would act and uh, I don't I don't think that like them acting so far out of character for no apparent reason, you know, yeah. is like it's fine. You know, like this doesn't like tank the story, but I think it definitely loses something where he's just kind of hand waving away. Right. Why he doesn't want to stop and plan. I, you, you I know, also think like, that there's a symptom of when this was made and the comics code authority stamp on it when i was reading it i really wanted batman to have a heavy toll on him like i I wanted him to come away from the poison ivy fight like messed up you know like yeah maybe he's he's confused he's inhaled the toxins he's like kind of a mess he's imagining things whatever like i want him issue to issue moment to moment to have more of a burden placed on him either physically or mentally and instead it's just like batman lays down next to a monkey behind a dumpster and he's just like oh i'm so tired it's like i you know i yeah this doesn't really like illustrate the moment i i wish that they were more creative with the torture that they're inflicting upon batman yeah, just as they say in like a proper like three act structure of a movie, let's say, to make it really simple, the hero of the story like if they're winning at the end, it has to feel earned. And so you have to show them starting from like a low place, right? And they have to right. earn like it, it has they can't just be given the win or else the win at the end of the movie feels hollow, right? And I think the exhaustion of Batman feels hollow because there's so many ways that from the character standpoint, you could be like, this is mo- more like what I what the character would be doing, you know? And so yeah. when it's because it's deviating from that, it doesn't that, that's why it just doesn't land. That's why it doesn't hit right. that hard because there's no uh, there's no real buildup to it. It feels like yeah. when you pull the pages where Batman's like, you know, next to a monkey and falling asleep. Like if you pulled that page out, it would just feel like a regular Batman issue. It'd feel like any other issue that we've covered where an enemy tries to do something. Batman stops him very easily. And then the issue's over. And it feels like we're getting that plus Batman behind a dumpster with a monkey. And yeah, yeah. I wish that there was just a little more there, a little more, a little more meat, because you can do a lot more with this. And I feel like this is just pure speculation. But I do feel like 
people went over it and realized this, that like maybe we could do a little more with it in testing Batman's metal as far as this kind of stuff. And I feel like, do you remember the no man's land story? I do actually. Yeah. I thought that was an interest. I never read the whole thing, but I thought it was at least an interesting concept. Yeah. So no man's land is an earthquake hits Gotham. It becomes like so damaged that they cut it off from the outside world. So Gotham becomes this like, you know, island that's like half destroyed. And because an earthquake has half destroyed it, all the villains are are running rampant and they've staked out like pieces of territory and stuff like that. And Batman is trying to like keep the peace. Great, great story. And it feels a lot like what Nightfall could have been. Yeah, yeah. I think that and, and not to like tear down like the editors at the time because they were some legendary like editors and writers in their own right too but like sure maybe that's the lesson they learned from uh nightfall of what worked and what didn't work and then it, they they built on it for stuff like no man's land they're like okay yeah. like this is yeah this is where it's more interesting and here's how we should try to go about this because it it hits a lot better yeah yeah it feels like nightfall walked so no man's land could run kind of thing and i yeah. i actually uh reread no man's land in the last five years reread all of it and the impression that i got was that it was stronger and no man's land came out late 90s i want to say like 98 99 um hmm. i always thought it was an early 2000s book in it my might head. be it might have bled into the early 2000s but what i was going to say is that no Man's Land still suffers from a lot of the stuff that Nightfall is suffering from, which is like episodic content that doesn't dovetail in with all the other stuff in the, in the world. It suffers from spikes of like really, really great issues. Like there's a great issue of Batgirl holding a gas station because they need it as like a resource that like tied into the world really well. And she's protecting it from other thugs and, and henchmen who are trying to take the gas station. And she yeah. has no backup because, you know, Batman and Robin and Nightwing are doing other stuff. And, and like all that worked really well. But for every one of those, there's also a lot of like just kind of boring, straightforward. Here's the bad guy. Batman takes him down. Done deal kind of issues. So I don't feel like No Man's Land totally shakes the formula of nightfall like i think they're still carrying around a little bit of baggage from it but yeah. i do think that no man's land did refine it to a degree yeah you just made me think of how comics are so ridiculous for many reasons but so you have dc you have this giant resource you know in almost any other industry entertainment industry you have seasons for a reason you know what i mean oh, yeah. because it like it never stops jason it because no matter because no matter yeah. how many people and how seasoned veterans you have working on like law and order svu it's like at a certain point like that story well is going to run dry and they're just going to need a freaking break and then also the after the break they're going to need some time before they're supposed to start shooting for them right. to like ease into and throw some stuff around and sit on a story and like you know and that's stuff that has to come out like you know at a clip right at a, right. they still have to get it out so there's still tougher deadlines it's not like a novel or something that you're writing but 
there's, yeah, there's, I, I was just thinking, I'm like, man, how much more would those stories have improved if like for two months out of the year, there were no bat books, you know, maybe reprints yeah. of stuff and like I have them that- go on a retreat and just at least just give a little you know what i mean like i think the mentality with with putting out stuff every month is that editorial can build those pockets where they get you know all-star writers like people like tom king who wrote batman for a long time in the modern era he can get like his time to build it by another writer tackling it for two months and then batman can continue to come out on time but we'll just like rotate in some some artists and rotate in some writers and keep it coming out constantly but also give tom like enough time to like build what he wants to build kind of thing Uh, yeah i think that i think that that stuff exists now however i think back then i don't know how much consideration they were having in in the comics offices in the 90s because i know in the 60s it was just like we're just gonna you know jack kirby's gonna draw whatever he draws and then stan lee's gonna write whatever he writes on top of it and then we're gonna put out that issue you know and it was like we're just gonna do this every single month and i yeah i think there's a growth between that and the modern era and the 90s are kind of smack dab in the middle where they're trying to reach for the stuff of the modern era but they're still bogged down by like not really being able to like plan as much as they should kind of thing. Yeah. That's one of the drawbacks of any kind of serialized fiction is going to, you're going to have spots where it drags, right? Like it's the reason why like there, there are some Charles Dickens novels that end up being like, you know, I don't know how long David Copperfield is, but like, because they were serialized at first and it was like a popular story. And then, so he would start going off on like, certain things and suddenly he'd be like holy shit i have like 15 extra chapters i had no plan on writing and you know mm-hmm. now now this is like where the story's going i guess so like that's like a, a danger especially if it's not watched out for and i guess also the other wrinkle is that there's never uh there's never a planned end you know like right. like vince gilligan came up with breaking bad with an idea for an end of it he didn't yeah. have like an idea for an entire extended well, universe not, to just making, keep going and going. We're not making Breaking you know? Bad. We're making The Simpsons, you know, like with yeah. Batman. It's just yeah. like constant, always, you know. Yeah. Uh, break, the Breaking Bad book that you want is like independent five issue thing. Like I'm working on a book called Blink. It is a found footage horror comic that is about claustrophobic spaces and uh, the creatures within them in this Ooh. like weird world. And it's five issues, beginning, middle and end. It ends with like a, a punchy note, gets you in, gets you out. Uh, it's entertaining. Good spooky read, by the way, for October. But yeah, like, like that's what you're talking about when you're talking about Breaking Bad. And then Batman is like, we just got to keep keep it going like it's it's simpsons it's anything serialized sure but batman can be and i don't know how much uh these editors thought about it then in the 90s but like batman should be ran like the way they wrote and ran shows like columbo 
right? And and this and this kind of goes back to like what I was saying before about having about uh, Batman Adventures seeming to have more kind of like clearer and strict stricter rules of how the characters act, right? And like and just and really completely like fleshed out. And with a series like Columbo, everyone should watch Columbo. Peter Falk is a fucking legend. You know, Columbo is going to do the same thing every episode and things sort of uh, hang around and react to that, you know? And so I think like in Batman Adventures, you see like, you know, Batman going to be Batman and the rest of the world is reacting to Batman. And so it's a a lot easier, I I believe, to uh, construct more impactful stories around that because right. you can end you can end up kind of meandering and kind of like letting things like fall down when they get too too out of control you know that's kind of interesting do you think that the batman adventures are reacting to batman more as an element within the world maybe the batman adventures has a perspective of like the outside looking in on batman and the Batman and Detective Comics issues from the mainline continuity are trying to show everything. They're trying to show the villains. They're trying to show Batman. They're trying to like, maybe they're just like, they need a, a re-energized like approach to, okay, like what is the, are we, is this from the perspective of like the Joker and Scarecrow hanging out and making crank calls with the mayor or is the perspective Batman being tired because when we start to split that, it like undercuts the the impact of each kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like the emotions of uh, of each scene aren't aren't really like thought about very much. And I think I might be like being a a bit too uh, hard on uh, '90s comics, especially yeah, like '90s maybe superhero comics. Because I, I have to say, like over the years, like ever since Will Eisner and sequential art. And then especially in the nineties with Scott McCloud and understanding comics and just more people in general from coming at it from many different ways and really getting back into thinking about how and why you're constructing the page and constructing the whole story, zeroing in on the visual language, you know, much in the same way you would, if you're making a very thoughtful film, you know, film and Mm -hmm. comics. So intertwined because of that, you know, because of like what you can do with the visual language. And I don't think a lot of people, at least in the mainstream in the 90s, were giving that a whole lot of thought, you know, they, it was they just were like, just like, I'm hired to make a fun Batman adventure and I'm going to do my best to to put a cool comic out that's going to be kind of entertaining. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas um, one of my favorite comic books of all time, Stray Bullets, in most of the issues, 90 percent of the panels are on uh a nine panel grid all the same. And, uh, the wonderful writer artist, David Lapham had said from the beginning, he was doing that like deliberately because one, it was just easier to like, all right, here's the panels I'm going to work with. And every once in a while, there's a big splash, but he's like, you get this rhythm to it, you know? And he's like, you get this great rhythm to everything that way. When he does decide to make like a one page splash screen, it's super impactful because he's, had these beats going on and on. And I don't know how much that was in the front of somebody's head when they were making these books back then. I I think it's maybe now it might be more common for editors and artists and writers to 
have those kinds of conversations sure. when they're working on whatever mainstream bat title is the most popular one at the moment, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably right. You know, in the last 30 years, I think we just put a lot of time, energy, and thought into comics as a medium rather than comics as a just an entertainment device for children. Yeah, exactly. You know, you read a book like uh, like like Jimmy Corgan, The Smartest Boy yeah. on, on Earth, and people are blown away by it. And then other people are like, well, how did, how did he get me to feel, wait, hold on. How did he get me to, <laughs> how did he get me to feel that? How did he get me to squint that hard to read all these tiny, right. but like, and it's like, oh, and then you, yeah. And then you start thinking more about the process. As a final note to all this, you were talking about how, like, you want kind of more deliberate, thoughtful process mm. that did exist around this time, but it was more rare, I think, than it is now. Like, because yeah. Watchmen is definitely built with that nine panel grid in mind. Oh, of uh, course. And is beautifully, absolutely beautifully constructed. And yeah. like Sandman, there's a lot of consideration going on how that oh. book is also constructed. Batman you know, Year One, you know. Yeah, Batman like, Year One is fucking brilliant. Uh, like, Batman Year oh, One. Man. Weapon X. Weapon. I yeah. still love the story behind Weapon X, like Barry Windsor Smith just drawing it. Like, well, we're not going to print that. He's like, well, I made it anyway. Here you go. And they're like, well, <laughs> shit, I guess we got to print this. <laughs> he just drew the whole fucking thing. Uh, man. But yeah, I just to just to leave that there, I think that yeah. maybe uh, those projects were seen as kind of small vanity projects that mm -hmm. like they were going to do it as an aside while like the meat of their industry was still this uh, serialized, like regular continuity Batman stuff. Yeah. And I just thought too, um, anybody who's listening to this, go ahead and like at me at on Twitter for any of the like other books from, especially around this era that I might be uh, not be thinking of where someone put a lot more thought in the process, or at least where you thought maybe somebody, you know, maybe yeah, I might yeah, not yeah. see it, but maybe somebody else is like, well, no, 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 clearly it just, it should be really interesting to, to see uh, other people kind for of sure. point, for point, sure. po point out what I'm not seeing and seeing if I can see it and just, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested in reading uh, some like gems from this era that maybe kind of, you know, I wouldn't normally think of. Yeah. There's probably some, probably some stuff in some old comics journal archives, I think. It's wild too. Cause it's like, the Batman year one stuff that Mazzucchelli was working on, that was mainline continuity. That was yeah. just like in detective comics, you know, they were like, oh, this month or for the next you know, quarter or whatever, we're just yeah. doing Batman year one. And it's to like, like, I can't imagine because we've read now nine months of Batman books from 90 or late 92 to early 93. Yep. And I can't imagine reading these stories and then getting Batman year one in like the middle of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It'd be so jarring because that stuff is so well constructed. Yeah. Yeah. And David Mazzucchelli is a hero of mine. I, I don't really have many. I, I, well, I don't typically use that word, but he did write back a, a young, a 13 year old Jason. He wrote me a like, cause I hand wrote him a letter. Cause that's, that was, did when you he really? Yeah, that was when he had he had a, a self-published book out called Rubber Blanket. And I yeah. was like, even at 13, I was like, holy shit, David Mazzucchelli. I love David Mazzucchelli. And I was just getting into like underground books. I'm like, oh, he has his own self-published book. And I was getting into the idea of self-publishing. So I was really looking into all of that. And I wrote him a letter 
And I was working on my little mini comic that summer. And I just thought like, oh, he's just busy or whatever. You know, four or five months later, I get a letter back at the beginning of the school year. I was like, holy shit, it's David Mazzucchelli. He wrote me back. He wrote me back this very, very nice, very thoughtful handwritten letter. I wish I still had it. Oh, I was going to say, how do you not have it? It got lost in some move somewhere. I don't, it was a letter, Uh, man. It was one, I know, uh, I know. But he was very, he was very encouraging, explaining to me how self-publishing works, how photocopying is not at all a bad thing. It's a great way to start. And Oh, that's great. And that it took him so long to get back to me because he had just been in Japan for the summer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but i was like all right, i didn't care as long as he got back. but but yeah but big big shout out to david david mazzucchelli he's just a brilliant brilliant artist and at least friend of the from, pod yeah friend of the pod friend of the pod <laughs> david if you're listening to this if you can remember what you wrote me and just like write it again i, I would appreciate it because <laughs> i accidentally threw it out it's yeah <laughs> almost 30 years later hi you remember me from 30 years ago <laughs> <laughs> okay all right let's talk about batman adventures issue nine action action with the, Just, with a capital a uh, this is batman adventures issue nine again same team as the previous issue kelly puckett writing mike parobeck on pencils rick burchett on inks rick taylor on colors tim harkins on letters scott peterson editing i think i cut this from the previous pod but we have the cover in the previous issue on the back of the letters column with some placeholder colors on it. Um, now we have the full colored version on the cover of Batman number nine is Batman on top of a car as a thug is discharging his gun within the car, trying to shoot at Batman on the roof as they're driving through town. I will say too, Scott Peterson I don't know if this is over his head as editor or what, but man, they are just covering these covers with logos and bullshit. <laughs> like there's the the Batman Adventures logo, which is looks great. Looks like the animated animated series logo. And then the DC bullet. Fantastic. Then we have the Comics Code Authority. Then there's a small box that says based on the hit Fox TV show. And then there's a giant burst that says win original Batman Adventures art details inside. And then there's the names of everybody in the corner. And it's just like, oh, my God, take take all this stuff off. I don't I don't want all this. Well, on the one hand, I agree. Take all the stuff off. It's a it's covering up a beautiful cover. And I do. I always hated it when they did that, when I still bought uh, single issues. But at the same time, as we've talked about before, our uh, much beloved uh twitter follow the spinner rack whenever they do show these covers of like iconic issues right of like of like scott summers holding gene gray's dead body at like the end of the you know the dark phoenix saga right sure but then like plastered across the top is you could win a 10 speed from (laughs) (laughs) it's just like yeah man you know what this is I, and, and I'm and I'm not even joking about this. Like as a comic book fan, this is your history. It's like yes, this is where right. Right. this is where we Jean came Gray, from. Listen, Jean Grey died for that ten speed, so you <laughs> could get that ten speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, but I mean, but but ser- but but seriously, at the same time, I'm like, I've 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 gone through different phases in my life of of a comic book fan, and 
I used to want them to be taken as serious art and like I still kind of do, but like, you know, this is just part of the, this is part of the gig. It's like, part of it. Sure. Sure. You know, the little red book is the title. Act one is gangster boogie. And the first page is a shot that I have never seen in all the Batman comics that I've ever read behind Batman's mask. You are looking through Batman's mask at a couple of thugs, two of which are running out of the room with the little red book, one of which is pointing a gun right at you. And he's saying, I got to admit, Batman, I'm going to get a big kick out of this. And I thought that shot was like really, really interesting. Yeah, I did, too. I flipped back and forth between that and the second page just to make sure I was. Yeah, I'd never seen that vantage point before. Yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting. So you're looking through the eye holes and you got a little bit of the of the uh, mouth area exposed as well. And we get right into the action. This issue, by the way, is like basically all action. Oh, yeah. So I loved it. Let's just I want to just up front talk about the action on on display here. Mike Parlbeck squashing, stretching his way through this issue. Uh, all the hits feel really, really great. You know, Batman's just wailing on these thugs left and right. And having fun while doing And it. having fun with it, yeah. And Mike Parlbeck, you can tell, time. is having fun. Like, we joked in the previous pod about uh, this being like a Shaolin cowboy Batman versus thugs, like old boy hallway scene. Oh, yeah. And it kind of is that. It is. It kind of is. It is. No, I, I I absolutely love it. And and like and just chock full of goons, you know, just yeah, some, yeah, just having oh, so some great fun with with the goon design. In the when in I was issue. editing the podcast, I was talking about line of action, and yeah. we were chatting with it, and I think that you interpreted line of action as being one thing when I was talking about something else, mm. and so I just wanted to clarify. So when I said line of action, I think that you thought of it more as like a the the dance of the fight and how the uh, cartoonist has mapped out like all the points, like where everyone will be, how they'll hit, you know, like, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How the action will progress. Yeah. How to exaggerate, like, will I exaggerate this arm or this place to provide this feeling? Line of action was a uh, term that I learned in school, which is when you're drawing a figure, the line of action is like basically from the head to the to the toe, like one swift line, one swooping line that kind of like dictates the motion of the body. Okay, so like if you were practicing like gesture drawing and you're 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 trying you're trying to kind of get down that. And it's it's just one line, one line yeah. straight down the body and like kind of like everything kind of like falls in line to amplify that uh, all the all the forms kind of fall in line to amplify that. And if you do it well, you get a lot of like really comfortable, natural looking motion. Mike Parlbeck is doing that up and down the line with these on page two, panel two, Batman has two goons that he's holding over his shoulder. The two goons are behind him. He's holding their shirts and he's leaning back to smash them into crates. And you get like a good line of action between like the back of Batman's head in like a reverse C, the letter C reversed from the back of his head 
down his spine kind of thing. And you get him like really leaning back. And that's what I mean by like line of action. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to make a note of that and I'm going to look into that more. So, yeah, uh, Batman's uh, beating up thugs and he's trying to get this little red book. One guy gets kind of the drop on him, pulls out a gun. He says, die, Batman, die. He fires his gun at Batman. Batman is smiling behind his cape because he knows that the goon isn't shooting him. He's shooting through his cape into like some crates. And and the goon is like after he empties the, the clip of the gun and Batman's still standing there, he's like, you ain't human. <laughs> and then and we cut to outside and a little word balloon from inside where Batman still is. He's like, stay away from me. Ah! <laughs> so we're left to our imagination of like Batman just having like fun with this dude. Batman I, I, just in his element. I want to think I'd like to believe that he just like tickled him and then tied him up. <laughs> you know, it's just that's it's a children's it's a children's book. So that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. But just, just just to fuck with the guy, you know, be like, so he's in jail and be like, wait, he he tickled. Yeah, he he just he tickled me and they put handcuffs on me. I'm like, this is getting really weird. And then he left. Uh, yeah, I'm like, my face is like, that doesn't sound like Batman to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think ah, dude. I think you've actually might have found someone worse. <laughs> Batman grapples the dude that that was running away. And in doing so, a uh, car rolls up on him. The guy that he was grappling ducks down under the car. The car's barreling at Batman. Batman's caught in the headlights. The colorist crushed it right here. Rick Taylor. Uh, Batman looks like really well lit in, in very, very light grays and light blues in the in these uh, car headlights. Kind of a classic throwback too in the first panel on 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 page five of like with with the blue, the blue and yeah, the yellow blue and gray man. Yeah, the blue gray and like that's like that's like prime like. Was that like Silver Age, right? Yeah, yeah, like seventies like, era. Yeah, 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 yeah. Real nice little little nod there. I think Batman somersaults over the car. One of the goons is like, "How do you do that?" And the other one's like, "Who cares? At least we got away." Batman is gripping the back of the car and ducked down so the goons don't see him. He then climbs around the car, and there's this great shot of Batman's holding onto the door handles. And you see him in like the side view mirror and the goons are chatting in the car. So you get like this mirror shot of Batman holding onto the car. It's so good. And the goons like, I'm just glad we got out with the goods. I need another lecture from Thorne. Like I need a sock in the head. And then Batman socks him in the head. <laughs> see, see, see what I mean by the like, this stuff is silly, but it's also it's it's a uh, I got to find another fucking word for impactful, but it feels it, it hits a lot better. Yeah, it's set up and payoff. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the main bat books, it doesn't always seem like the payoff is as satisfying. Right. You know, it's exactly. like there is a setup. It's like I can see they're setting up and doing the payoff, but it doesn't like. Right. Yeah. yeah. Batman beats Firefly in the main books, and then you're just like, okay. And he's still yep. tired. All right, cool. He's still tired. All right. All right. Yeah. So yeah, Batman yeah. punches through the car window, socks the dude in the face. The car starts to like lose control, hits a lamppost by the docks, flips over. Batman is on top of the car as it's flipping over, like holding onto it like a fucking skateboarder lands. The guy sees that Batman's going to get him and he tosses the book. And there's a great panel. 
So we've had really claustrophobic action this entire time. And there's a great panel of the guy tossing the book into the into the harbor, into the from the dock. And it's a really wide panel with just Batman's hand and the goon's hand on one side and the book on the other side. And then the book hits the water. Yeah. And then the first panel on the next page is this that same the same shot angle, but with a diver popping up holding the red book. The book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I wished, and I know that they're working with a limited palette, so this is more difficult, but I wish that there was a, a further time passing, like noticeable. As a colorist, I would have taken that first shot and been like, okay, it's going to be night here. And then the next shot is going to be the same shot, but I'm going to make it early morning kind of thing. Yeah, maybe a little bit of um, of a dawn kind of right, like it hitting took time, at certain points. It took time for the PD to like show up on the scene, and then they had to like call the dive team in, and the dive team needed yeah. time to look for it. And it's like early yeah. morning by the time the dive team pulls the book from the water, you know? Yeah. But again limited in the scope of their colors that they could use also might be a rule though too because when i think about uh batman the animated series there's not a whole lot that ever gets done during the day you know it's true it's true everything always almost exclusively takes place at night with a full color spread though i would have made it seem later night maybe or something like something to hint at at it yeah like because there's there's a cop car up on the docks with the lights on that is missing from the previous page. So they're, they're trying to be like, no police are on the scene. But I think as a colorist, it's like up to you to kind of amp that stuff up that passage of time. Yeah. But like I said, I think that Rick is just, you know, being boxed in by the, the tools that he was able to work with. Yeah. Yeah. So they pull the book from the, from the river Batman and Commissioner Gordon are going over it and, and, you know, the commissioner's like, this thing's destroyed. All I wanted to do was just win versus Thorne just one time. Just I wanted to make him squirm, but now we're going to lose. And Batman's like, he hasn't won yet. And we go to act two. The big boss. Which, again, just nonstop action. You know, yeah, you want to you want to quickly break down act two? We, we center in on a big spooky mansion with a, uh, a T over top of the gate. So we know who Batman is literally. This made me this made me laugh. He, he's sniffing when he's, he's up in the trees on this compound and he's sniffing around and we see a man in a little cowboy hat and a shotgun. And I really enjoy the commitment to no, this character is going to be a cowboy character. So yeah, I'm giving him yeah. this. I'm giving him the Stetson. He has a mustache. He's wearing gloves. He's got he's a got six a bolo shooter tie. Yeah, he's got a bolo tie. Got a six shooter. You know, and I and then I also laughed at. I mean, this beautiful goon that has uh, a, a a pinup on his tie. Yeah, who's who's yeah. getting who's getting fooled by Batman, who just put the Stetson on top of his head in the yeah, bat suit. So- so like we gotta set that up. So the so the goon, the the cowboy goon is like, thinks he sees Batman, gets up to the trees. Batman spooks him, drops from the trees, knocks his ass out. Yeah. So then, 
it cuts to like inside Rupert Thorne's mansion. And there's another goon that's reading a playboy. And, <laughs> and he hears a tap on the window. And he's like, Harry, what is it now? He sees like just a hat and a tap of the rifle that the, the goon had, the shotgun that the goon had. Yeah, the pump action. Yeah. You turn the page and he's like, did little Harry fall down and get a boo-boo? Yeah, then Batman just then, drags him out of the window. Yeah, he just pulls him out of the window, and then Batman's in the window. And the the they never really show it, but it's supposed to be, you know, Batman in the Stetson hat yeah. with the shotgun tricking the goon. I really yeah. wanted a panel of, like, cowboy Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or that maybe he even took the time to, like, cut out, like, ear holes in the hat so he could keep wearing right, right, it. Right, right, right. You know, right, right. that would have been hilarious. yeah. And then it just again, it just gets right back into the action. We have Batman just sneaking up on a bunch of goons who are, I mean, uh, you know what? They probably deserved it for something, I guess. But like, they were just trying to eat. They weren't doing anything goonish right now. Yeah, you know? they're on their lunch break. Yeah, come on, Batman. Jeez, man, they're they're loving the jokes in this issue because yeah. one of the goons, what one of the goons. Saying, so I finally says, is you going to be quiet or is I going to have to paste you one right before he just gets clocked right in the back of the head? Yep. Which yep. is just, I also love how like they only show the approach of his fist and they don't show yeah. like, they're like, you can, you know, you know what's happening here. Yeah. 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 That's. And then again, and then it's just more goons standing around on, on guard duty. One of them reading Orion, which I thought. Yep was was a, a fun little it was probably maybe one of his favorite books at the time he's like oh i'm sure, gonna have this sure or well actually you know what that that goon might be somebody now that i'm thinking about it yeah you know what maybe it was i don't know who it, i don't know who it was supposed to be but maybe it was somebody who was uh in the bat office or something like that yeah or or maybe he's like his friend who was like the artist or writer or something on uh on orion yeah like on that, yeah on yeah that book uh, but yeah, but Batman takes out all three at once by just uh, throwing some batarangs, clearing them out. And Thorn, you know, he's not he's not he's not shocked to see him. He's all big and fat and in a red robe and, you know, has yeah, the slicked yeah. back hair. There's there's a page before Batman sees Thorn where he's like walking into the, I guess, main staircase area in this yeah. like giant mansion the foyer with a fucking fountain in the middle of it yeah yeah and batman like opens the door and like the shadow creeps in and batman's there like and from off panel you get what took you so long batman it's almost 3 a.m and it's yeah. thorn there waiting for batman yeah and then just more Honestly, I'm loving the nonstop action of the of the issue. Yeah. He must have had so much fun drawing this. Like this looks like it was one of the most fun things to like. Like I, I hope when he was drawing this, he was having one of those like, holy shit, I can't believe I get to do this for a living moments that you hope to sometimes get once you make uh cr being creative your job. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Act three, Rupert's reckoning kicks off. Rupert Thorne's like, nice knowing you. <laughs> I just love how they're still having so much fun with the act names. Like this just Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It is. Yeah, it doesn't really work for the two parters, like the scarecrow stuff. 
the scarecrow two-parter two-issue story because then you get like you know six acts basically but the one shots the one shots so sweet i still appreciate shoehorning it in though rupert's like nice knowing you he's gonna get the boys to shoot up batman because he's up there with like a crew batman grappling hooks rupert's thorns hands and ankles at the same time pulls him down so rupert's off the balcony and batman's like holding the grappling lines and he's sweating and he's like don't shoot don't shoot and batman's like tell them to throw down their guns or or uh you know i'm gonna drop you thorn's like put down your guns do it and uh batman's like thanks and rupert's like wait what are you and then batman uses rupert thorn as a counterweight to just like shoot up to the balcony yeah i thought that was fucking brilliant it was illustrated and plotted out like so fucking well yeah a really tough piece of cartooning to do for sure oh yeah batman shoots up to the balcony he goes through the goons basically and we turn the page and he has gone through the window shot out of the window lightning behind that, him yeah that's th- that that panel is so <laughs> that panel is so I, I i'm like yeah that's i eat that shit up it's just so yeah, like, man like and, batman batman looking so cool doing what batman does his face entirely in shadow being being the scariest motherfucker in the room yeah just leaping through a fucking window and then to me like and then the next pa- and then the panel under it just goons just kind of hanging out by the pool being confused which i found kind of funny right right like they don't know what's going on there's one two three four five six seven there's eight of them down there and like yeah. some are hanging out by the pool like on break and some are on patrol and batman it just has this grappling hook out and he shoots his grappling hook oh we're remiss to say that uh Rupert Thorne was like, yeah, I know why you're here. You're here for the book. That's why I sent it away as soon as you arrived. So there's a car that like was speeding away. That's right. Yeah. The whole, the whole point of the, uh, the whole Chekhov's gun of the, the little red book. Yeah. 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 Chekhov's little red book. Yeah. Batman knew he had a copy. Rupert sent it away. So Batman's like trying to catch up with this car swings through the pool area as everyone is shooting at him yeah which is also really well done yeah yeah goes over the wall goons with tommy guns like going flying and then we we see the red car that has the little red book full of goons in it driving away lightning in the background the mansion in the background and the goons suddenly see some lights turn on in the rear view and they're like, what the? And it's the Batmobile. And they start shooting at it out the back of the car with the Tommy guns. Batman hits a button. The grappling hook shoots from the Batmobile, hits the car in front of them. They start to lose control. Batman hits the brakes. He stops them from going over uh, over the edge of the cliff and uh, gets the little red book. Yeah. And since I'm flying through the windshield, I love. I love how much in the Batman books that (laughs) Batman will deliver what in any other place would be a fatal injury to somebody. (laughs) But because because Batman, but because Batman doesn't kill the mere fact that he that he fucking grappling hooked a car, slammed the brakes on his car so he could like, you know, stop its forward momentum 
And just because Batman doesn't kill, physics understands that, right? And made it like a bit softer when they sent these two bodies through a fucking windshield. They were like, oh, hold on a minute. But Batman doesn't kill, so we have to make sure to like turn physics off for a second. I mean, I I mean, I get the suspension of disbelief and all that. But. I will say it was nice to see when Batman hit the brake. He's driving a stick. The Batmobile is a stick shift. There's a clutch pedal, three pedals. Well, yeah, you got a high performance vehicle. It's not automatic. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we get the last page, which is Harvey Dent. Still not Two-Face, by the way. So, yeah. Even though over 40 episodes of the Batman animated series is out right now. Yeah. Like well over 40 episodes. Two faces is out and about in the regular show, but we still have Harvey Dent. So this puts us pre 10, 15 shows. So we're still operating well within the first like chunk, the first month of the television show. Yeah. We have Harvey. With the little red book, he's saying, does this book belong to you, Thorne? Thorne's got a bandage on his head and he's slumped in the chair in court. And he's like, yes. <laughs> he's like, there's some very interesting entries. Uh, if it pleases the court, I'd like to read some. You know, he starts like reading them. Bruce Wayne shows up to the court. Oh, Brucey uh, Wayne. Yeah, yeah. All smiles. Uh, Commissioner Gordon's there. He's like, Bruce Wayne? Didn't know you were interested in this sort of thing. And he's like, I'm just picking up Harvey for lunch. So, yeah. So he's like, well, you know, we're we're in the middle of a courtroom. And he's like, so uh, another 15 minutes. And then he like pushes him out the door. And he's <laughs> like, what I say? <laughs> yeah. And then I heard the uh, the dad. Just the end of Looney Tunes. Right, right, right. Definitely has that vibe. The like 15 minutes of fame stinger on the end of this like nonstop action book. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the name of that tune? I don't I don't think so. I just thought, you know, he said, you know, when his 15 minutes is up. Like, oh, yeah, yeah I'll yeah. be outside kind of thing. I thought that I th- I interpreted it as that. Oh, 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 OK. I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't pick it up in, in that fashion. I just I just yeah. like the Bruce Bruce Wayne being a stinker. And then, yeah, he he, and is, it, he is a little stinker, man. What a great freaking issue, dude. Like just. Yeah. So much perfect. fun. Just executed so well. Everything I want in a Batman issue. I think I'm going to start buying these like physically. I, I have to find like there has to be some collected editions of these that I can get. There are some collected editions, but I don't think they've collected everything. Mm. A lot of stuff, especially with kids books and uh, uh, with a, a kind of nebulous past of being tied to the television show. And now the television show isn't running. So DC doesn't really collect a lot of this stuff and if they do they do like a best of kind of collection yeah yeah so i started picking up the single issues i just started hitting uh shops in the area and trying to find the singles because i was like i i want these this was before we started the podcast i was like yeah yeah i spent like six months just hitting up local shops and you can usually find them for like two or three bucks like they're not expensive issues with the exception of the ninth one yeah number nine right I think it's 12. Oh, it's 12? It For is, some reason, I always thought it was nine. It is the uh, Batman Adventures logo is spray painted over with Batgirl, and it has Batgirl and I think Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn on the cover. 
and it is the first appearance of Harley Quinn. And that one is a spicy, spicy price point. Yeah. If you want to get, they did do uh, some second printings, so you can find it a little cheaper. But even those, and they did those second printings like a year or two ago, like mm. fairly recently. Really? Yeah. Wow. And even those are starting to climb in value. Yeah. All right. All right. Do you want to hit up the letters column? Yeah, sure. Sure. I sent you this letters column very, very late in the game. Oh, that's all right. I actually didn't write down a lot of letters columns, so I'm shooting from the hip on this one. Anything jump out to you uh, in the letters column? The only big thing that jumped out to me uh, is I forget sometimes me being uh, a white straight man born in 1981. Other people don't feel catered to. And I'm a firm believer in making comics for kids and yeah. also for especially for little girls as well of yeah. like showing them. And that's the kind of the vibe I got from the letters. Uh, this this issue was they were just so happy to to see like she was so happy that uh, uh, Barbara Gordon made an appearance and she wasn't paralyzed right. and right. other people just being happy that like they loved the show because like Harley Quinn's on there and she's a you know, and like really looking up to it. And like, I think I very obviously forget that like, oh yeah, that's, that's right. There, there, there's a large segment of like superhero books, especially that didn't cater to if, if you weren't straight and white and looking for a power fantasy. And if you right, want yeah. the industry to survive, which I do, and I just want everyone to love comics as much as I do, you just try to give them some more diverse stories by more diverse voices and so let me read some of these this says dear scott and company this is the first fan letter i've ever written but you left me no choice i've liked the batman for years i just read number five of batman adventures i think the scarecrow is one of the better villains i had stopped reading batman comics in protest when batgirl was paralyzed i always felt that there was too few strong and identify women superheroes recently i heard a batman the animated series and decided to take a peek to my shock i saw barbara gordon and she was walking i was thrilled i decided to give batman another chance i love the show and the comic is a quite a terrific piece of work we want batgirl back yours until the killing joke is overturned karen combs from foxborough massachusetts here's another one from uh carissa mininello in bethel connecticut dear scott i've been meaning to write to you you see i never really read comics before but my older brother had been collecting comics for years. I had heard of Batman, who hasn't, but I was never really interested. But then I saw the Batman cartoon was coming out, so I thought, what the hey? My brother loves it. Maybe I will too. Was I ever right? I loved it. It was all I could talk about. After that, I started to collect comics, starting with the Batman Adventures and other DC comics. At first, I thought I was the only girl in high school who loved comics, but actually, a lot of girls in my school have been collecting comics. So now we all collect comics together. I don't know how I got along without them. I now invest a lot of time and money in comics and it's the best and I have you to thank. So thank you. I also want to say thank you for putting Robin in the story because he's one of my favorite characters and I heard he wasn't going to be in the story, but fortunately I had heard wrong. I do have one question. How come there's no posters for Batman the Animated Adventures? I love them. Wish I could get a poster. And again, thanks. It warms my heart. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And and I didn't realize 
how quickly Harley Quinn had like absolutely resonated with the audience Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was watching these, like you said, from the perspective of like a single white man, like who was born in 81 and it's like, everything's built for me, you know? Yeah. yeah, So like Harley, Harley Quinn's in this animated show and it's the Joker's girlfriend. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And she's funny and like, oh, that's cool. She's funny. And like. I, I like her. I always liked her as a character. Like, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Harley got mentioned a few times in the letters column. And at this point, there's something like 40 episodes out uh, in these when people are writing in. So it's, we're very, very early in the like oh, yeah. Harley Quinn fandom. Yeah. And she is already resonating with a large female audience. Yeah. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, oh, no shit. You know, and I think I think sometimes when people point out um and I think I always see uh, Iron Spike pushing back against this on Twitter whenever anyone's like, oh, the comics industry is dying. And she's like, well, no, she's like superhero books are taking a pretty big hit. But she's like, if you look at stuff made for younger kids and YA audience, it's freaking sure. huge. Like Scholastic right. still has like a huge arm of, you know, from eight years old till like 15 years old sort of range of YA books that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's like Marvel, DC, like you, you guys, you guys have the resources and they've kind of like, even when they learn the lesson, it's like, they never seem to learn it for long. Like when they started uh, the sure. ultimate line, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's a great idea. Like restart the whole thing, get some new people in here. And then it's just like five years later, there's like crossovers and shit in the ultimate. I was just like, oh, you ruined it. All right, you yeah, ruined yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You, okay, you, did, you didn't. I thought you learned. I thought you learned, and then you just you just memed that yeah. meme of like the hard right turn of just like nope. There's uh, an old DC editor said to me once that everything starts out with great intentions and like structure and a plan, and then it all just devolves into the same kind of thing over a long it, enough timeline. You yeah, know, the, the, like comics will just do what it does kind of thing. Because I really started thinking about it more today. And I'm like, you know, what the hell is stopping DC Comics from being like, OK, we have these characters that these people who aren't usually catered to by comic books seem to love. And yeah. they seem to be like more so these days, like pushing them, which is great. But it's also like I, I think they're still forgetting the age thing, you know, yeah. Because some of the Harley Quinn stories that they want to tell and that they have been uh, telling have been geared to a more older audience, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, great. But like if I'm a dad and my daughter is eight, I maybe don't want her to read some of the the more like racy stuff just yet. Like not even that's even that racy, but just like, you know, an eight year old's even not going to get it or whatever. To be fair, to be fair. They also come out with like, what are the, what are they called? Golden books, like yeah. for young, young kids. And, you know, they, I, I feel like they're trying their best to run the gamut with their intellectual properties. I think some of the stuff we don't necessarily see on a regular basis. Like, yeah, it's probably we're just, not plugged into it. You yeah, know? it's not, not in our orbit. That's, that's, that's fair. Right. I was being a little unfair because it's just not in my, or maybe if I, if I had kids or something, I might, I might like be more plugged into. Yeah. You want the stinger for the next issue? Give it to me. Next issue. 
the Riddler's back and he's dot 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 quitting crime. Can this be true? Say it ain't so. We'll find out the whole story when Mike, Kelly, Rick, Rick and Tim bring you the last Riddler story, quote unquote. See you then, Scott Peterson. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that Riddler story. I don't think the Riddler's going to be jacked, unfortunately, but, you know, we can only hope. You know, one one day, one, <laughs> one day, day, they'll they'll one make day. jacked Rid- Riddler permanent. Okay. <laughs> you know what? That that's what we should start. If we start gaining any kind of uh, listenership following, we're gonna start a trending like hashtag that's, of that's the hill we're gonna die on is yep. bring back jacked Riddler. <laughs> yeah, we have to like you know make 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 Riddler yoked again or something like that. I don't I don't know. You want to hit the two read pile? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, I'm bringing Bupkiss to this to this podcast. I've been uh, slammed with work and, uh, you know, reading a lot of Nightfall. So and also editing the last episode was almost two hours long and that was the edited version so yeah, yeah we, I went, we got, went a little deep on, on I, that one yeah i got a little i got a little hammered on that one yeah. as far as time wise however i i am still lustfully looking at the pile of books that i have uh there's a lot of stuff in there that i'm like ready to read but haven't gotten quite a chance to yet um have you been reading anything new not anything new i'm still um still making my way through uh, William Gibson's All Tomorrow's Party. Uh, I sure. haven't cracked any uh, new comic books other than the Bat books this week. I just sure. kind of got distracted by some other things and just sort of started doing other things as projects that just took time away. You know. Yeah. I've been telling myself that I'm going to draw every day, but not beating myself up when I don't draw every day. Yeah. But one of the things that I know that I'm bad at, we talked about line of action in this podcast. One of the things that I'm bad at when I see someone on Twitter post like a sheet and it's like the same character in like 10 different poses, like dynamic poses. I'm always like really jealous of that. I'm always like, fuck, I wish I could do that. So I just to start, I just decided I was just going to do 10 poses a day every day. And I'm I haven't been able to do them every day, but I've done about 70 now. Oh, Um, damn. Yeah. So I've had like, uh, you know, 10, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I've done like seven of them uh, or, you know, seven sets of 10. Yeah. And I'm mostly and I'm going to be straight up with this, mostly straight up copying from like Pinterest boards and stuff like that, because like I'm like I said, I'm bad at it and I'm trying to figure it out. And one of the things that I learned when I started like putting all this together, especially when it comes to uh, women drawing women in like interesting poses is really hard for me because they're curvier and pretty and and that's hard. That's hard to draw. And uh, so men are more like boxy. So I can I can just like rough them in like really, really easily. I feel like. It's a little easier for me. So uh, I started like looking at Pinterest boards. There's I'm copying a lot of poses from uh, a person called 
Kate Fox. Um, I don't know she, they, what pronouns she uses, but uh, for whatever reason on Pinterest, her stuff started popping up and it like clicked with me really well. And I think one of the things that I was doing wrong was I was putting way too much space between the hips and the uh, rib cage. And so it was like screwing up everything, basically all the proportions for everything yeah. just started like falling apart and I wasn't getting a good curve of the spine. And it just like when I was doing it on my own, it kind of fell apart. So I'm excited about finishing. I told myself I'm going to do a hundred. And then once those hundred are done, then I'm going to, I'm going to do uh, ones for myself. That's just like another hundred, but are just from my brain or from life. Mm. One of the two. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I think, I think I'll follow that. I think I'll, I think I'll take that up because I, I'm I'm very I've always been baffled by and never quite my my figures always really really suffered from uh below the torso like the tor the, yeah. the, the the torso arms necks like even even like moving it has been like it's at least easier for me to figure out or to see what I'm doing wrong if it, if it ends up wrong but like yeah. the the hips and how the hit like the hips have always been a huge huge problem for me of so. One of the yeah. things that I've realized is like you can like I'm looking at this this Batman Adventures page, right? And there's maybe one full figure on the whole page in the courtroom scene. Like people are behind desks, people are clipped from panels. You really like don't draw full figure stuff all the time when you're making comics. It's a lot of like talking head stuff like, you know, chest up kind of things. And so you can kind of get away with, especially if you're not trying to like dedicate time to like, you know, fixing your weaknesses, you can get away with like hips up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know you can get away with it. Uh, and, and there are certain things you can use to like block, you know, but like I've always had the idea of, so back in the day when people used to make like, uh, uh, sales calls, like cold calls. I mean, I suppose they do today. Sure. It's just spam and robots. But when a person had to just pick up the phone and dial a number, they would tell you when someone picks up the phone, when you're talking to them and giving them the sales pitch to smile while you're talking, because even though, yeah. and, and I think that like, there's something, uh, behind like, sure. You don't have to have a fully rendered figure. That would be silly to do all that work and then completely like cut sure. it away but just when like if you have people sitting down and you're only seeing them from like the waist up but still yeah. just kind of have uh the idea of what the full figure looks like and how it sure and how it moves because it just i mean it you know it can go you into get proportions more con convincing and, like like twists at a desk when like somebody's reaching for something stuff like that yeah yeah and i also i also think it's like for like um for the artist as well there's there's something to be said for when um when you're making something to have like it's almost like acting where like you have to think back to a mem a time when you were angry to really bring out like actual anger to make sure. it convincing and i think that sometimes like you have to have like at least like a you know light little sketch maybe sure. like under of like here's Here's what the legs are doing, just so I in my head know what the sure. 
and, and, and maybe it's not important. You, maybe if it, maybe it's just background. And then at that point, who gives a shit when it's like, just like, you're just trying to populate a thing. But like, if, if you're supposed to focus in on the character, you know, have you read, um, there was a, a book, I guess, watching Watchmen, I think is what it was called. It was a behind the scenes look at basically the construction of the Watchmen. Yeah. And there's pages in there of, uh, was it dave gibbons yep drew the watchman yep pages in there from dave gibbons pencils and he is in every single frame he is like drawing the entire figure and then drawing clothes on top of them and then inking those clothes And, and a lot of times it's like it's like he's drawing like rorschach and he's like climbing into a balcony or whatever and he drew the whole figure and then he drew all of the clothes and then he just blacked it all out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's some people's process of like, I remember once reading uh, an interview with Craig Thompson, you know, of like of blankets and yeah. Uh, Goodbye chunky rice, which I still have a soft spot for goodbye. Chunky yeah, rice. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, I remember an interview with him and they, and they even showed some of his, um, could be charitably called thumbnails like for blankets and like and craig thompson was like yeah a lot of my uh, artist friends are like why are you detailing the thumbnails you're drawing this entire book twice and he's yeah, just like yeah. well but he in his thumbnails he's like he he needed to at least back then his process was like he needed to know like exactly right how it was gonna be before he and, and you, know, you know i also so. feel like it's it's like some people want enjoy that like precise build of everything you know what i mean yeah and some people do not like i know that if from experience if my thumbnails are really really tight i lose interest in finalizing the page like i have to keep things loose right up until the end i know that like kyle starks when he writes uh, he he did a book called old head. He did a, a, a rock candy mountain about hobos. Yeah. Train the, hopping. The, the, his uh, most recent one I read, I, I let a friend borrow, but the, um, the four uh, assistants of, um, God, what was it? He was like a stunt man. No, no, he's an the action sidekicks of some, somebody, something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that, that one. Yeah. That, that was great. That was great. That was a really good. One. I really like Kyle when he, when he writes and draws a book himself, he's like, extremely loose barely scripts and then is scripting it as he's drawing it and yeah i think that like that spontaneity and that fun that he's having on the page translates to a better work and i and he said that he like if he has to do you know full scripts pencils inks like color like himself he will hate the book by the end and yeah, a lot of times yeah. when he's when he's working with uh, publishers, they'll be like, hey, can we see a script? And he's like, nope, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, you get what you get, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's definitely different processes for different. Uh, and, you know, and like I was saying before, anybody have, you know, any different processes they enjoy or heard of? I'm always a fan of trying out a yeah, couple yeah. of things here and there. Like, it's always so. Like, to To bring it back. One of the things that I started doing when I started drawing and this show is has kind of helped me get excited about comics again. Um, 
pre-pandemic, I was like drawing a lot and I realized that I would sit down to draw and I'd be like, I don't know what I'm going to draw. Like even just sketchbook stuff, I'd be like, I I guess Punisher today. I don't know, whatever. And then like it'd be like kind of haphazard and I'm trying to make a finished thing, but it like wasn't really I was never setting out to do a finished thing. I only had an hour, you know, whatever. And then I realized I was like, okay, well, I'm I enjoy drawing backgrounds. I'm good at drawing backgrounds. What am I not good at? And I was like, okay, full figures, hands and portraits are like portraits man i i can't help think like a colorist and i just want to like cover the face in marks like just just pencil lines and ink spots and i just want to cover the face and that's not what you want to be doing when you're doing portraiture as far as cartooning goes so i was like these are the things that i'm pretty bad at so i was like i'm just gonna pick one do 10 a day just like 10 hands 10 hands 10 hands until i do 100 and then I'm going to rotate to the next thing and I'm going to do 10 portraits, 10 portraits, 10 portraits and rotate to the next thing. 10 figures, 10 figures, 10 figures. And just use that like like weightlifting, basically oh, yeah. trying to just like rough off the corners of like even if I don't have time to do draw a full page or, or work on a zine or whatever, it's still drawing every day and I'm lifting the weights basically rather than you know, trying to make a finished thing for Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. My next big goal, uh, is, uh, is getting back on the, the, the drawing habit, which I've been, it's, yeah. it's the thing that's been lacking, but big piece of advice to everybody out there, give yourself time. It's not going to happen right away. And that's actually the hardest thing is because you start doing a thing and you start to think like, and you might even start getting on like a good clip of like oh it's been a week and i've been drawing every day and then something happens and then you feel like shit and then it becomes a big deal again and you know and now it's a whole other thing so just i I treat it like i treat it like working out if i miss a day i'm not gonna beat myself up i'm just gonna try to get into the gym the next day yeah just just try not to miss two is is all exactly or do what, or to put it another way, I always say in my head uh, to do, to do whatever I can to make it not a big deal, because that's right. what trips you up is when you make it a big deal and you know it's like no 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 yeah bring, bring like, it back down for example right. the poses like I've done about seventy now and you know I wanted to have a hundred done by now yeah and if I beat myself up on that first missed day I might not I might have only done ten. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to just like have a sense of like what am I good at, what am I bad at, and then instead of I spent a lot of times, especially as a teenager, um, and in college, trying to cover up what I'm bad at, like yeah. running away from it in yeah. order to display like the best stuff I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And I think that I would have my time would have been better spent if I just ran straight into it and like attacked it like I'm doing now. We used yeah. to have in art school, we used to have all these um, teachers would say in the beginning of the quarter, they'd be like, hey, uh, one of the projects that you're going to get graded on is just fill up a sketchbook and it can be anything you want. Just fill it up. And I wish that I had the forethought to be like. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to just attack all the stuff I'm bad at and not display it necessarily to the class, you know? Mm. Um, 
but instead I wouldn't sketch. And then a week before the, the, the semester yeah. was over, I'd try to like pack it full of stuff. <laughs> I still remember your comic book you made in a day. I look bad in hats. That was oh, like yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the more popular one in that, in that class. And you'd like literally <laughs> spent like 10 hours on it. If that. Uh, yeah. Well, dude, like two hours. It's just like <laughs> portraits of me in hats. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really, that was really good. You know, maybe, I, um, man, I got to, I, I got to a place by the way, where I was like at the end of the school semester where like I was just banging out pages in like sketchbooks even like I was just like rule it off ink it right in the sketchbook done deal like I was like churning out comics and I think it was because I was doing pages all the time like I was forced to do pages all the time yeah and yeah. when I got out of school I was like oh I need money right now what's my most marketable skill and I started coloring and then once I got out of that practice I look back at that time in my life where I could just like sit down with a sketchbook and make a comic and like have a thing at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck dude, how do I get back there? I yeah. It's like, like, I took it for granted. Uh, Hey, should we end the podcast? Let's end it. Let's put it out of its fucking misery. Jason. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I was, put it I was out of its misery. I, I was just going aggressive for the joke. Yeah. people want to find you where can they find you they can find me on twitter at king of black acid uh, any any tips or tricks or anyone have a bead on if they know what i'm talking about with those pose books any sort of <laughs> used place where i can get analog copies of those see jason when you do this this kind of stuff at the end of the podcast then it's like oh now i have to put the fucking pose book conversation in the, the final edit you're you're locking me in no, because it's. I, I think it. I think it would be even funnier if it, if you cut that part out. If anybody knows about the pose books, everyone's like, "What is he talking about?" But they can find me at uh, King of Black Acid on Twitter, where I probably shouldn't be spending as much time as I do. But hit me up there anyway, sure. and you know, sure, yeah. Uh, they can find both of us at World's Second Finest Podcast on Twitter. That's world's second finest with a two ND, the number two. Uh, when shows go live, they get updated there, so you can you can snatch it. Uh, they can also find me at Nick Phil N I C K F I L on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. I've got a Discord. You know, whatever, whatever you want to chat about comics. Watch Twitch. Them on Twitch. Yeah, I've been playing uh, escape rooms with Boyks and Cam, but. I think I'm bad at escape rooms, especially compared <laughs> to those two guys lately. We've been playing escape room simulator and they are also on the West Coast. So we start at like 830 for me and it's it's 530 for them. And then like I'll be pretty into the first escape room. And then by the time we get to the last escape room, it's like midnight and I'm fucking tired and I can't solve any puzzles. And it, but it's only like nine o'clock for them. <laughs> Hey, do what I do whenever I'm a part of a group and I'm the worst at the group activity. Just try to be funny. I'm like, all right, I'll be yeah. the funny one then. I can't yeah. contribute. I'll just try to crack some jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. 
Thank you very much for listening. Catch you on the next one. And see you later.